Well, we're in a series on our Sunday mornings called uh, A Christmas Miracle. Uh, and uh, last Sunday, we began that by thinking about the miracle of God breaking the silence uh, of John the, Birth's, uh, John the Baptist's birth, John the birth, John the birth's baptism, that was where I was going, um, uh, and uh, just how God moved in, in that situation and, and spoke through that silence. Uh, we're going to come to another miracle uh, of Christmas, uh, Matthew chapter 2. Pick it up at verse 1 and, and just read this familiar story. And I'm just hoping we can dive into it and see something fresh here uh, this year. Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they'd heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose appeared again until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So, Father, we just pray that in this moment you might be present and that by your Spirit you might be speaking. And would you anoint, Father, the, the message today and might it bless and move and inspire and encourage uh, as we seek to know you and to seek to grow in you today. Would you use this moment and these words to shape our hearts and lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God breaks the night. Do you ever have uh, passages of Scripture that you read? And it's not like you don't believe them, but they just sound so strange. We're going to have a moment of honesty, okay? Has anybody ever had a passage of Scripture like that? I think that's pretty much unanimous. It's true, isn't it? It's not that we don't believe them. It's just that we wrestle with, what was that? like though how how did that happen though and i know we believe in a god of, of miracles a god of awesome power but what was that like i want us to be really honest about this passage of scripture this morning because the visit of the magi is something that has, has, has lived with me for a long time and i've always read this story and loved it since i was a kid and as i've got older i've thought what is going on in this passage have you ever thought this what, what on earth? And I know that we've all seen those lovely Christmas cards uh, of the, 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 the wise men journeying on camels, usually three of them, uh, looking at a star that is moving 
across the sky. And we've all seen those nativity plays here in church and in schools where somebody's had a stick with a star on it and they've walked and the wise men have, have followed them. And I've always thought, but what was it? Have you ever thought that? I want us this morning to, to dive into what this star could be. Now, this is going to be a, a kind of a different message, I guess, for me and, uh, and for us. It's a bit of a passion project of, uh, of mine, so please indulge me uh, and go with me. But there is something that this star could be. Now, if you uh, pick up a, a, a commentary or any sort of guide to the Bible, there's, there's many answers that people give uh, to this. Uh, some people say that this star is a miracle, that what we're witnessing is not actually a star, but a, a light, uh, a sign in the heavens. Uh, now, the trouble with that is that the word that is used in the Greek is asta, from which we get our word astronomy. It's very definitely a star. There are other times in the Bible when a bright light is described, but not using this word. And so it seems that the star, though a miraculous, is not in and of itself not a star. It's very much described as a star. Uh, there are other people then who want to argue, well, maybe when Matthew wrote his gospel, he wanted to sort of beef up the intro a little bit and make Jesus' arrival like other arrivals of, 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 of history. And so he's sort of put a few bits and bobs together and, and created what we might call the genre of, of, of myth, that he's put it together to describe something about Jesus and Jesus' arrival that didn't actually happen, but, but we've accepted it as, as myth. Now, my struggle with that is if we're going to do that with page one of the New Testament, where do we stop? Jesus' miracles, Jesus' death on the cross, Jesus' resurrection, they all defy human logic, but we don't call them myth. And so I, I would struggle with that. And then there are others who just say, well, it's, it's a mystery. We, we'll never know, you know, one way or the other, and perhaps we never will. And I think that's something that, you know, as people of faith, we have to live, don't we, with, with mystery at times. Uh, but is that true? It, is it just the case that we might never know? I think there's a, a, a few problems, if I'm allowed to call them that, uh, with this story. The first I've already mentioned is this word, star. Now, back in the day when Matthew was writing this, this, this gospel, uh, the Magi were well known for being expert stargazers, experts in astronomy and astrology. Uh, they would not easily be confused by what's in the sky. There are words that they used for planets, which do move, don't they? They, they orbit stars. Uh, there's uh, words that they used for the conjunction of planets, words that they used for eclipses, and words that they used for comets. But they don't use any of those words. They use the word star. Another question I've got is, if this star is moving across the sky, why isn't the whole world following it to see where it's going? I mean, surely others would spot it, wouldn't they, and, and want to go too? But the biggest problem, I think, is simply this. Now, I'm no expert in astronomy. I'm no scientist. But I think I might want to say stars don't move, right? They're fixed points, aren't they? That's why, you know, years ago, the people on the sea used to plot their course and still do, if all else fails, by the stars, because they're fixed points. They don't move like planets. Uh, they're just there. And the biggest problem of all, a star in the heavens. Why did it make the Magi go, we've got to get to Jerusalem to see the birth of a king? 
So if you can answer any of those for me, that would be great. Thanks for coming. God bless you. So we're going to dive into this. I love the words that they use when they get to see Herod. Uh, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? Smart place to start is with the current king, is with the palace, so that's where they go. Something has led them. The Bible never says that it moved, it just says, we saw his star in the east. Interestingly, past tense. So something appeared that is not there now. A star appears and it leads them to Jerusalem. And then these words, we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So how do they know that this star of all stars, I mean strange stuff happens in the skies all the time, how do they know that this star is his star. Can you see the problem? There's so much here uh, to, uh, to unpick and to uh, un- unravel. Well, we know then that after they've met with the king, Herod sends the scholars, the chief priests, the leaders of the people into the scriptures, and they dive back through the prophecies. Where is he going to be born? Uh, and they come up with the answer that we read earlier. Uh, Bethlehem. It's got to be Bethlehem. And so Herod sends them there, and being a consummate politician, He allows his mouth to reel off some spiritual, religious-sounding words. Do let me know where he is, so that I, too, might worship him. Worship is the last thing on Herod's mind. And so these wise men, this group of major, probably a huge caravan of them, a huge delegation, who'd want to miss out on this? all traipsed from the palace in Jerusalem towards this little town, small place of of Bethlehem. And then the Bible tells us when they get there, the star that they'd seen appeared again. It appeared in what astronomers call the the zenith of the sky, which is when something is directly above you from from where you are, indicating that that this was the place, confirming the location uh, where the child was. So that's... That complicates the matters even more now. So what we need is a star that symbolizes the arrival of a Jewish king that appears twice in the skies within the time limit of the Magi's journey. They probably were traveling on the um, uh, frankincense and myrrh trade route, which they reckon took around um, two years to do. Uh, And something that fits within Matthew's narrative. Why is Matthew writing his gospel? Well, one of Matthew's passions, if you read it, is there's this phrase uh, that he uses again and again. All this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. So Matthew is writing to a largely Jewish audience, and he's taking Old Testament scriptures, and he's lining them up next to Jesus to say, Jesus did this, that's what the, the prophet said he would do. Jesus did this all the time, echoing right the way through Matthew's gospel is, Jesus is the Messiah, that's why he's writing. So how does this story fit with Matthew's narrative? If some astrologers from the east get to Jesus' birth before people who are meant to know the prophecies, how does that fit with what Matthew is writing? So there's some more questions for you to go away and uh, do some homework on uh, for next time. Well, let's start with this. Who were the Magi? Back in the first century, 
Uh, people were obsessed with the stars, with how, they, with how the planets moved, with what was going on above them. Uh, there was one time during Nero's reign that there was a huge comet followed by a meteor show, and he um, was terrified that that was uh, foretelling the end of his reign. And so he rounds up about 67 of the uh, leading officials uh, uh, back in his day, and he has them all killed. He has their kids scattered uh, into exile. They took what was happening in the heavens really seriously. Uh, there were times when if you were marching into battle and there was an eclipse, some of your soldiers would run away rather than go into battle. And so people who could understand the heavens above, the stars, the movement of them, people who could predict eclipses became really powerful. They actually used to travel with kings and captains into battle. And they would sometimes use it to their advantage. Sometimes they would tell people there's going to be an eclipse and this is a symbol uh, that we're going to win. Or if there was one, they'd tell the people, don't worry about this. It, it, you know, we knew it was going to happen. Uh, they kept records. They had water clocks that they used. They knew what they were doing. Uh, some of them, as like I said, were given royal titles. Some of them became princes, and a few of them, because of their importance and, and, and what they knew, uh, were considered to be so important, they became kings. King Nebuchadnezzar had been one of the, the magi. And so when we sing the, the carol, We Three Kings of Orientai, it's not perhaps quite as inaccurate. They could have been kings. I think the Bible might have told us if they were. But, but certainly magi in the day were, were thought of on that level as, as, as advisors are equal to the kings. They knew stuff. They could predict stuff. They could explain stuff that others couldn't. They were also obsessed by prophecy. They would collect them people's prophecies from, from all kinds of, of different nations. They were people of uh, a kind of a, a scattered um, belief system, really, like a patchwork quilt. Uh, and so we know, for example, the copies of the Jewish scriptures were translated into Greek for the uh, Jews that had been sent into exile uh, during, during the exile. So there were copies. It was called the, the Septuagint, the Greek translation of it. Uh, and the Major likely had access to it. And because there is so much prophecy, they were probably obsessed by it. Which leads to the question, is there a prophecy in the Old Testament about a star? Yes, there is. Did you know this? I didn't know this. Uh, most commentaries that you read don't, don't tell you this, but if you go back to all the early church fathers, every single one that mentioned the Magi mentioned a prophecy. It happens to come in numbers in this bizarre scene. Bear with me. Just walk with me through this a moment. I did say you'd have to sort of bear with me a little bit. Um, the king of Moab, a guy called Balak, not a nice guy, he wants to attack Israel. But he knows of the stories of their God, of the blessing and the success that God has given to them. And so he goes to this mysterious character called Balaam, who we don't really know an awful lot about. He, he certainly was a Gentile. He was not Jewish or orthodox in his belief by any stretch. But he called God Yahweh, and he believed that there was one God. But he was kind of a prophet for hire, really. And Balak goes to him and says, Balaam, if I pay you, would you do me a favor, and before we go into battle against Israel, would you curse them for me? And Balaam just goes to the highest bidder and says, yeah, that's fine. 
And so they go up on this mountain, Mount uh, Peor. Uh, interestingly, uh, a place that was known as the Field of Watchers, because so many people used to go there for, for stargazing, to see the skies. And Balaam is stood there looking over the people. Uh, and Balaam somehow comes out with these words. This is the start of the chapter. Now, when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not resort to divination, as at other times, but turned his face towards the wilderness. When Balaam looked out and saw Israel encamped tribe by tribe, the Spirit of God came on him, and he spoke this message. Now, when the people of Israel were uh, sort of lined up together, they, they always camped in this way. And this is what Balaam is seeing from the top of this mountain. The tabernacle... Uh, the tent where they met with God was always right in the middle. The people of Israel organized their lives around the presence of God, around worship. So tabernacles in the middle. And then the 12 tribes of Israel were divided up into quarters uh, and put under certain banners. And so there were three tribes that were put under uh, the tribe of Judah and uh, under that banner. Uh, there's another three tribes uh, that are put under, uh, I think it's the tribe of Reuben from, from memory. I just remember that. Uh, there's another three that are put under the, uh, the banner of the tribe of Ephraim. Uh, and as Balaam is, is, is stood there, he, he's incorporating the language of this symbolism in his prophecy. He mentions a lion, uh, the, 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 the symbol of, of Judah. He mentions a man carrying water, the symbol of Reuben. He mentions an ox, the symbol of Ephraim. And then, suddenly, he stops. As he looks at the last tribe, the tribe of Dan, which gathered under the symbol of an eagle. And then Balaam says this, the prophecy of Balaam, son of Beor, the prophecy of one whose eyes see clearly, the prophecy of one who hears the words of the Lord, who has knowledge from the Most High, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who falls prostrate and whose eyes are opened. Quite an introduction, isn't it? I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. The scepter, of course, being a symbol of, of rule, of kingship, of lordship. And so somehow as he looks at the tribe of Dan, these three tribes that are under that banner, he speaks these words. He sees somebody who's not present now, Somebody who's not there, not near. Somebody who will come and whose arrival will be marked by a star. Now, anybody that you read who's written about this prophecy will tell you that this is the only prophecy anywhere in human literature, in human history, that prophesies the arrival of a star. There, there simply isn't another one anywhere. I mean, it's a pretty bold claim, right? If you're going to make something up, they don't make up that they're going to be born under a star. I mean, that's just, how do you arrange that? And this becomes so important that some of the Jewish leaders start to call Balaam their greatest prophet. The Messiah becomes known as the son of the star and the star of the Messiah. So there was among the Jews this, this belief kind of came about strangely, but that somehow, sometimes how God speaks, that it'll somehow be related to the tribe of Dan, and that a star will rise out of Jacob. Can you imagine what the Magi made of this? Can you imagine how exciting that was to them, 
Nobody knew the stars back in the day back better than them. And here was a prophecy uh, about somebody coming. Now, that still doesn't get us, does it? To how did they know that this star was his star? Well, there's more. Uh, the tribe of uh, Judah, you can see there's a, a lion there, was often associated, that symbolism, with a certain constellation. Now, this is not a Jewish belief. This was just belief back in the day. And that is, of course, the, the, the constellation of, of Leo. Uh, the, the one at the bottom, Reuben, is often associated with Aquarius. Uh, and then um, Taurus. And then lastly, Dan, often associated, because of the shape of an eagle, with... Well, you could say it if you know, it's okay, uh, with, a, with a Aquila. Now, let me show you Aquila. Looks a little bit like this. If you spot the big star just under the word Aquila, and there's two stars either side of it, that forms the back tail of what is meant to look like an eagle. And as, as different times when it's in different places in the sky, it looks like it's swooping around and doing all kinds of, of interesting things. So the question is, was there a new star that appeared in Aquila around the time of Jesus' birth? Yes, there was. Anybody else excited by this? Absolutely incredible. In 24, no, on the 24th of April, 4 BC, uh, two separate places, one in Korea and one in China, report this incredible star that appears uh, just in the, the corner of the tail uh, of the eagle. Uh, here are the words, if you want to read them. This is from the, the, the Chinese observatory. Uh, in the year 4 BC, on the 24th of April, there was an unusual sparkling star sending out rays of light evenly in all directions, and it was positioned in the constellation Aquila near the three stars, and those are the ones at the back, uh, Altea, uh, Tarazed, and, and Alshain is how I'm going <laughs> to pretend they're pronounced. And so there was a star that appeared there, an unusually sparkling star, the, those that observed it in Korea described it this way, that it was brighter than all the stars in the sky. When people describe a new star, or how it appears to us, the, the birth of a star, uh, they use a, a Latin word for new, which is nova. And astronomers that have read these descriptions, I'm not the only one who's obsessed by this, by the way, uh, that have, have, have read these descriptions have said this is probably actually a, a supernova. This is a huge explosion uh, that, that took place. But there's more. The two, two scientists wanted to investigate Einstein's claim uh, in gravitational fields. He, he theorized that they existed and they were looking for evidence of it. And so they began to point stuff at the sky and try to listen to see if there was any evidence of gravitational fields. And they discovered something in the corner of Aquila's tail. Its technical name is PSR 1913 plus 16b. <laughs> Not as cool as his star, I know, but that's the, that's the technical word for it. So I figured this Christmas it'd be great just to insert that you know, for some accuracy, <laughs> you know. PSR 1913 plus 16B of wonder. <laughs> PSR 1913 plus 16B of light. PSR 1913 plus 16B royal beauty bright. Maybe, maybe not. But that's, that's what they called it. 
Now, when a supernova happens, it, it leaves something behind, a, a, a pulsar that spins. Now, they didn't know this back then, but they've discovered something like 500 pulsars. This is the first one. Uh, they've discovered about 500 since, and we know a lot more about them, and we can become more accurate about what they can tell us. So we know that this one is older than 1,000 years, but not older than 3,000 years old which when it comes to how you date a star is actually pretty accurate. Don't have birth certificates for stars, unfortunately. Uh, so, so it kind of sits at the right time when it was seen, and, and the age of it seems to sit at the right time as well. And the other thing that they've discovered about it is that it's not actually one pulsar, but what they call a double pulsar, which means that it would have flared up brilliantly bright around 4 BC, starting this journey of the Magi, and at some point, fared up, flared up brilliantly, brightly, once again. Anybody else buzzing? Now, I don't know if that's the one or not, but there's certainly a lot of problems that this little star, or pulsar, PSR 1913 plus 16b, you can quote that to your friends and impress people. A lot of reasons why that could be the one. Why does that matter? You know, it's nice, John, to hear you rant and rave about something, but what does it actually matter? It matters because Herod knew this is what shook him and what disturbed the whole city, that somehow what was happening in Bethlehem had to do with everything. Heaven and nature sing. It rocked him because he'd been given this title, King of the Jews. They didn't know what else to call him. They just needed a ruler. This meant that somebody had been born King of the Jews. It changed everything. And it means that in order to speak to people who live on the other side of the planet, didn't share the history, didn't share the story, didn't share the belief, God would move heaven and earth to get them there. And this Christmas, I don't know what your plans are. I don't know what your life looks like. I don't know what your inner life looks like. But I do know this. God will move heaven and earth to be with you and to speak to you. I do know this, simply this. The fact that Jesus is here changes everything. That there is hope. The God who breaks the night still breaks in. The God who came near still comes, and there are still echoes of his promise, echoes of his peace, echoes of his presence all around. And he wants you to know that. He wants you to see it. He wants you to follow it.